<laughs> and Michelet took up so much of our time. It was like incessant and constant, but also really beautiful because like everybody got to know each other. We were feeding people. I mean, it expanded to the point that then there was like kitchens involved and they were like feeding hundreds of people a day, you know, hot foods, hot food, hundreds of people a day. Welcome to Rebel Women. I'm Esther Freeman. Usually I would tell you that this is a podcast about troublemakers and Gwen Maroney certainly had a history of that. But in the spring of 2020, she and a network of volunteers were the ones holding things together, often stepping in where government was absent. Gwen was born in Italy, but age 11 moved to Ireland with her mum, dad and brother. It wasn't always easy. I do remember struggling to speak the language for three months and telling adults that I had learned English in three months and they were like, that's very short, and then realising that's just what kids do. So, yeah, that was that. There was definitely difficulties, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was smooth because you have to fit in a culture that isn't yours. And Ireland in the 90s wasn't the most welcoming place as much as, <laughs> as much as, um, I mean, it, it's definitely progressed, but it was definitely a bit of a divide culturally. And, you know, I, my, you know, my mum didn't speak English either, so um, we were slightly isolated, I think. However, slowly, you know, you kind of just have to crack on and not think about it too much. Like, I'm not saying that's the right way to go, but that's how we did it. After finishing school, she moved back to Italy to study further. Things got even more challenging, leading to a mental health breakdown. Well, funnily enough, I am only being assessed recently for it, so I can't. I I really don't know what I have got yet. There's different opinions about it. But yeah, it was was a psychotic breakdown, so it was, um, you know, you imagine things that are not there, basically which has been depicted in many, many films, sometimes in the most, uh, not in the best way. Yeah, so that was the start of it. And then obviously you get the symptoms around it, which can be like depression and anxiety. But that was the core of it. And then it's the kind of aftermath of it and settling, resettling into not having it, you know. Um, And like at the time, as much as it was like just over 15 years ago, there was no culture around mental health. Like, there, nobody was chatting about it as much as now, you know? So it was... Um, I did go to therapy at the time. It wasn't the proper... I don't think it was the right therapist, but it did help to a certain extent. When she was 27, she moved to London, which gave her a fresh start. I still have versions of it. They're just not harmful, if you know what I'm saying, you know? Um, it, it's not like it goes away. It just stays, but it takes a different shape and you manage it differently, so... What we're looking at is potentially dissociation as opposed to anything else. While in London, Gwen became involved in Sisters Uncut, an organisation fighting cuts to domestic violence services. They've taken over an empty council house, turning it into a community centre, 
protested police violence following the murder of Sarah Everard and turned the Trafalgar Square fountains blood red to protest cuts to women's refuges. I had a friend who was in Sisters Uncut and we met at, um, we met at some point a while back and just talking about politics and everything else. She's like, you should just join Sisters Uncut. I think that was 2014 or 2015. I joined them. It's weekly meetings, um, women and non-binary and trans women. And the idea is to fight cuts to domestic violence services through direct action. So we had direct actions, basically, and media strategy to put the word out there about the situation with domestic violence in the UK. Two women a week get killed by their partner. You know, there's, we'd we'd have a mixture of like pretty good media strategy, putting out like statistics, and and also do direct action as part of the media strategy. So you know, I think the one that was the most well known is when the suffragette film came out in Leicester Square, and sisters blocked the red carpet to make a statement for the press, which is, you know, de- dead women can't vote. So Suffragette was a film all about, the, you know, reaching the vote. And we were like, women are dying. So, yeah, it's a fancy film, but, you know, you need to listen. So um, that went on for a couple of years. Le- I've learned so much from it that it's really shaped everything else that I do and given me a filter, which is, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's probably a tough filter in the sense that if you see everything through the filter of abuse... But you know, <laughs> it's hard to take a break for some. But it's it's it is, yeah. It's one of the best things that I've done in my entire life. Then in March 2020, a conversation with one of the sisters took her on a different journey. And I knew one of the one of the members of sisters was setting up mutual aid in Hackney, so I wrote to her and I was like, "Oh, is this something that's on in Waltham Forest?" And she was like, "Nope, kick it off." So I started a Facebook page for the local mutual aid, and through this person on Twitter, someone else was like, "Oh, I'm from Waltham Forest." You know, she basically linked us, and that's how I met somebody I'm now friends with. As soon as we put up the page, I think it took a day to have about 5,000 people on it. The concept of mutual aid was developed by the Russian anarchist philosopher Peter Kropotkin. He'd witnessed in the animal kingdom a practice of cooperation rather than competition that aided evolution. He gave the example of crabs in the Brighton Aquarium. He witnessed one of them fall on its back and its heavy saucepan-like shell prevented it from returning to its natural position. Its comrades came to the rescue. For an hour, Kropotkin watched them work together to push their friend from beneath in an attempt to flip them back over. When Kropotkin left the aquarium two hours later, he glanced in at the tank and found the rescue work still continuing. This principle of voluntary reciprocal exchange of resources became a core feature of the community support through the COVID-19 lockdown. A grassroots network developed with neighbours supporting neighbours with essential supplies and services. (music) 
Technology became a key feature of the mutual aid program in 2020. As well as the Facebook group, they created WhatsApp chats for each street. A web developer friend of Gwen's created a website where you could put in your postcode and find links to mutual aid groups in your area. Knowing older people may not be using social media, they also created flyers, which they posted through letterboxes. These provided the number of a burner phone that people could call to request help. You know, if somebody rang and said, I'm isolating, I need shopping, this is what I need, you'd write it down, get the address, delete whatever was on the burner phone, do the shopping, drop the shopping off. Soon it became a lot more than just shopping. Food requests were the highest. Some people asked if you could pick up their meds for them if the chemist didn't deliver. Um, so we organised lifts with like people's cars to bring people to hospital. But those are the three types, food, medication and um, transport. Or like, oh, moving furniture as well was another one. You know, somebody getting a, you know, a new bed or something and needing the help to bring it up the stairs, that kind of stuff. They recruited a huge team of volunteers to run a complex operation meeting the increasing demands of the community. I think the setup of it, like the first two, three months, was constant Zooms, setting up the system and learning from the system, you know, and doing the best we could to have a sustainable system. So some of us would be doing that, and then some other of us would be more on the day to day shopping, you know. And then that evolved quite a bit into making hot food for people. So there was a whole group. There was a group who actually worked with the kitchen to deliver hot meals to people. So they would do call-outs for who can deliver what, you know. And you meet in a car park and you do one area and you deliver hot food. I've done the delivering bit. I didn't do the organising of that. So, you know, you could also mix and match. Like, sometimes you're organising a group and some of the times you're, you're the person doing the delivery. They also developed financial systems. We had a street PayPal or there's a ward PayPal or when things felt safe for cash or a donation, we raised the money as well. So we would collectively raise money to have on our PayPal account so that whenever somebody did shopping, the money would be transferred from the PayPal to their account because we felt that unless offered, don't ask for money. Um, so there's a quite a bit of fundraising around that as well. When Gwen's boyfriend got COVID, she had to isolate with him and they found themselves calling on the mutual aid network themselves. Then her parents got sick too. I think I was mostly scared about my parents because my dad's got diabetes and my mum was just out of cancer. So they're high, you know, they're at risk. They're in their mid-70s. You know, when you're like trying to figure out what to tell them to take, you know, vitamin C apparently is a big thing and vitamin D is a big thing and like just keep drinking and, you know, you just support them and ring them and stuff. And, you know, I lit my candles, I did my tarot cards, I did everything, basically. It was quite scary for my folks. At its peak, they were helping thousands of people across the borough. It got so intense, Gwen's boyfriend started to worry about her mental health. At the time, my partner was like, Jesus, you're burning out during a time where you've got less work, you know, but you're like, yeah, but you can't, you know, it's just I get involved, you know. I did, there was a moment where I was like, wow, I'm quite tired. I have a tendency to just do things and then it hits you after, so I think that's what happened like you know it hit it probably all hit me a little bit later at the time I just do the job or I do what what needs to be done and it's part overworking is part of one of the issues that I have and what about her mental health today 
last year I got on top of it a little bit more and I uh, started making a few phone calls and got a better assessment than I've ever had in my entire life. And now I'm waiting for a, a full official NHS one. It's deteriorated over the last few months. At the time, I think like the keeping busy covered up a lot of it, you know? Um, that's kind of how I operate. And it is part of the dissociative spectrum to put on another version of yourself <laughs> to deal with stuff. So I think it's kind of all coming to me now a little bit more and more than before. I think the the whole COVID thing hit me a little bit more when you start realising we just went back to how life was. There was a gli- little bit of hope at some point that we were like, you know, we don't have to go back to the way things were, you know, being overworked Londoners. <laughs> but they did. And prices are going up, but our wages are not increasing. I feel... On one side, I've got my personal mental health, which I'm addressing. And on the other side, I think I've got the same type of anxiety that I see in so many people right now. There's a lot of confusion, I think, a lot of anxiety, an insane amount of anger and definitely, definitely depression. The Mutual Aid Network still exists in Waltham Forest and has stepped in to help with other emergencies, including local flooding in 2021. It didn't affect me personally, but it affected my, like, neighbours. So again, the neighbourhood got involved. Like, as much as they possibly could. Somebody wasn't in their home, she knew it was going to get flooded and people went in, like, buckets and tried to get rid of the water. It was, again, a very quick neighbourhood response and some fundraising. We did quite a bit of fundraising. The experience of mutual aid organising has led Gwen to rethink her activism. It's different from any other organising I've done before because, you know, stuff like Sisters or more politicised, let's say, activism has a certain type of meeting and has a certain type of agenda, has a certain, you know, the objectives are... I mean, Mutual Aid had clear objectives as well, but in some ways I found it I found it quite open, the Mutual Aid organising, you know? Everybody got involved. Um, so it really showed me, like, uh, I think I'm more into community organising than traditional activism right now, you know? It's going to be so hard to leave Walton Forest <laughs> the day I have to leave it because we, we're tired, you know? If you're listening to this podcast between the 20th of June and 16th of July 2023, head over to the mill in Walthamstow to see our exhibition, Beyond Medicine, A Social History of Women and Pandemics. To our listeners from the future, you'll be able to visit the exhibition online at beyondmedicine.org.uk. You can also watch our short film on YouTube. There are links for both in the show notes. Join us next time for more stories of lockdown legends. Lockdown legends.